for Business podcast with me, Lauren Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain, behavioral, and organizational sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. As always, make sure to follow us on Twitter, at brain for biz and LinkedIn, or else we look forward to your feedback and comments by email to laurie at brainforbusiness.ie. The psychology of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship is a fascinating area. Let's face it, it can sometimes seem completely bizarre that someone might leave a possibly well-paid and secure job in order to follow their entrepreneurial dream. Yet this is exactly what some people do, despite all the risks and challenges involved. So what is the psychology of entrepreneurship and what is it that makes entrepreneurs so unique? To explore these and other questions related to entrepreneurship, I'm delighted to be speaking today to Professor Ute Stefan of King's Business School, King's College, London. Ute Stefan is a professor of entrepreneurship at King's Business School and a fellow of the International Association of Applied Psychology and a 21st century entrepreneurship fellow. She serves as associate editor at the Journal of Management and at Entrepreneurship Theory and Practice. From 2015 to 2019, she was editor-in-chief of Applied Psychology and International Review, and from 2019 to 2022, consulting editor at the Journal of International Business Studies. As an expert on the psychology of entrepreneurship, Wuta explores how individuals and societies can thrive through entrepreneurship. Wuta's research builds evidence on how contexts such as culture and institutions shape entrepreneurship and well-being and how entrepreneurship in turn can help to build more inclusive societies. Uta, welcome to Brain for Business. Thanks so much for having me and I look forward to your questions. Well, let's get straight into those questions. And, and the first question is possibly deceptively difficult or maybe deceptively easy, I'm not sure, but what actually is an entrepreneur? I think you're spot on. It seems it should be very easy. And I think fundamentally, um, there is agreement that entrepreneurs are the individuals who work for their own account and risk. So they are personally responsible, including also legally responsible for everything they do. And that's really what sets them apart from employees and even from managers who have a lot of responsibility and degrees of freedom in their work, but ultimately are not to the same degree liable for their actions. So that's one thing is what people do. Um, and part of what entrepreneurship is about is starting something new, right? Starting a business. And then you have a whole lot of variety how big that business is. And so when we think about the psychology of entrepreneurship, we like to think about individuals and then kind of try and explain also this variation that we see. So somebody might just opt just in quotation marks, <laughs> to be self-employed, because that's already very challenging. Um, and others may seek huge large-scale businesses, the next unicorn with a lot of venture capital-backed funding. But the nice thing about entrepreneurship is that it's such a variety and it allows different types of individuals to engage and find meaningful work for them. If we think about the, the way you defined it there, and this is just to, to clarify, is there a distinction between an entrepreneur and on the other hand, someone who simply starts a business, but it's a well-worn, well-known path? So for example, someone who 
starts a corner shop or a hairdresser or something like that, that it's been done many, many times before. Is that entrepreneurial as well? So I think if you ask different academics, you'll get a whole lot of different answers to this. <laughs> but I do think that anybody who sets up something of their own, we couldn't term an entrepreneur, but it's absolutely true that there is more, we like to call it replicative entrepreneurship. So it's been there, it's done before. And then there is more innovative entrepreneurship that challenges the status quo and maybe even creates entirely new markets. But also, I think if you flip it the other way around, you know, even if you set up a corner shop, you can do that in many different ways. And, you know, during COVID, for instance, there were corner shops that pivoted to be community centers, had really important functions far beyond, you know, just being a business. So I think, you know, there can be many varieties um, to every type of entrepreneurship. Regardless of how we perhaps define them between those different types, what would you say actually motivates entrepreneurs? And, and in particular, what motivates them to go it alone, to start their own business? That's a very good question. And I'll give you a little bit of a backstory before I answer this, if <laughs> sure. that's okay. So when I started out doing research in entrepreneurship, so I come from a psychology background, and I asked entrepreneurs, so, so what motivates you to do all of this? Um, and, and how do you know that you're successful? And back then, the standard answer we were supposed to expect from theory was a very economic one. So, you know, I'm in it for the money, and I want to earn more money. When you actually speak to entrepreneurs, and we, together with fabulous colleagues, I've spoken to entrepreneurs in many different countries, and the main answer to this question is always the same. I want to be independent. I want to be my own boss. So it's the autonomy. Surely, for you know, financial reasons play a role, but they're not as prominent, by far not as prominent as we like to think, and also as the media often portrays entrepreneurs. So there's a lot around you know, challenging yourself, being driven to do something better. Um, and then, you know, also recognition for what you're doing plays a role. And what really surprised me in the first instance was also how many entrepreneurs feel that they want to contribute back to their community. And that's not, when more recently talk about social enterprises as a specific form of, of entrepreneurship that's independent of those enterprises. Even mainstream small businesses are often deeply anchored in their community. And, you know, they want to good, create good places for work and for living in the broader community. So that there's a lot going on, much more complex than just the mm. money. But maybe that's not surprising because entrepreneurs are people too. And, you know, you and I have many different motivations for going to work every day. Surely we need to get paid at the end of the week or month, but there are so many more things going on. And especially for entrepreneurs, actually the autonomy, so we, for a project for the UK government, we traced entrepreneurs over time. But it was really interesting, this motivation to be independent and autonomous, making your own decisions, being your own boss that actually grew stronger over time. So being an entrepreneur really seems to give you this autonomy and you come to value it even more once you set up your own business. Given that diverse range of reasons or motivations that you touched on there, does that also mean that there are differences in terms of, of how entrepreneurs typically define success and, and what success looks like? There are, 
But it's interesting that one of the top success factors for most entrepreneurs is personal fulfillment or personal satisfaction has different names. But ultimately, it's the what I get out of this job is some kind of economists would call it psychological utility. I'm happy in my work. And it shouldn't surprise us because as an entrepreneur, you get to define a lot of how your work looks, with whom you work, uh, when and how you work. And of course, personal income and you know a successful business plays a role as well. But it's almost more important when there are challenging times, so when the success of the business is threatened, because partly you know as an entrepreneur, the business is you, so you you tend to closely identify because you built it, mm. and. When times are good, that's great because it's a reinforcement, a signal of achieving that you're doing things right. And, you know, you've done all those things. So it's a huge boost to your well-being and sense of achievement. But if things go not so well, then that's also a threat, even a threat to who you are as a person, because you may no longer see yourself as a successful entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneur. So I've done uh, quite a bit of research around COVID. And more recently, with colleagues, we've looked at also the inflation crisis. And we see that for entrepreneurs, these external, objectively stressful situation that can threaten the survival of the business really seem to weigh much more heavily if you think of, you know, employees also suffer. I do not want to diminish that when times are tough. But for entrepreneurs, there seems to be more of themselves at stake. I guess on a on a very simple level, I know quite a bit of work has been done uh, by Denise Wutz-Basaran and, and others at Warwick looking at the impact of failure on entrepreneurs. But I can understand or, or guess that if an entrepreneur has a dream or wants that independence and or they want to do their own thing or give back, then that failure or that sense that things aren't working could have a huge number of impacts on their personal sense of self and and, and psychological well-being, if you like. Yes. Yeah. And indeed, that's absolutely the case. And it's, you know, there is a bit of, um, in, in the media stories, you sometimes see, oh, you just have to learn from failure and move on. But this learning can be really difficult when the failure is so overwhelming. And, and we know from border research, this and entrepreneurs literally go through stages of grief for their business. And it's not surprising. There was a neat study a few years ago that put entrepreneurs in a MRI scanner, so a brain scan, and looked at how they react to logos of their business and then compared it in experimental designs, so very robust, to how they reacted to um, pictures of their own child. And the same brain areas were <laughs> lighting up. So it's not just passion for the business. It's almost, you know, it's the same love as for what you build. There were only male entrepreneurs, but, you know, to, to hold things constant. But I think that tells you something of how deep entrepreneurs care about their business. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Talking there about, you know, obviously, some of the motivations and, and, and some of the, the, the ways that entrepreneurs think about their businesses or their organizations, if we think about social enterprise. But what would you feel are some of the maybe key psychological traits or possibly behaviors that are associated with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship? I think whether there is a typical entrepreneurial personality is probably one of the most long-standing questions <laughs> in the psychology of entrepreneurship. And at the risk of simplifying this long debate, if we look at the evidence, so because it's been researched for so long, we now have studies that compile and statistically integrate all the available evidence. 
And what we know from those studies is that there is something like entrepreneurial personality, but that doesn't mean that you have to be born an entrepreneur. In fact, these specific traits that are most critical for becoming an entrepreneur and then also for succeeding as an entrepreneur are ones that we know we can shape through learning, through the way we behave. So let me make it a bit more specific. So one of the, the key elements is being proactive or having a proactive personality or Michael Fraser um, also calls it a personal initiative. And so that's about being self-starting, future-oriented, persevering in the face of challenges, comes together often in a cluster with also believing in your own skills, capabilities, self-efficacy, and also with a sense of being driven, I guess, is the best description. So we call it need for achievement. So you want to do things well, you have high internal standards for your success, and you're driven to reach those standards. And those things are really what sets entrepreneurs apart also from managers, because you, know, you can have a debate who should you compare entrepreneurs <laughs> to. And it's perhaps not not surprising that these are also the things that matter for success, right? So if you're proactive, you're looking for new opportunities, you kind of take challenges more as a, okay, I can learn from this if I can overcome them. So that's the one part of the coin. And the flip side is a bit, if you're driven to achieve and you're passionate about your work, because your work is not very structured, right? You set your own boundaries, but you can also always do more. So you can always gain more market share. Um, there's no supervisor who tells you <laughs> well done. Literally often nobody tells you well done unless you know you see a number at the end of the year that tells you you've done something well. And so there is a bit of a risk with that. It's a, it's a very fulfilling career. So I do a lot of research also around the well-being of entrepreneurs. But it is also a career that's extremely stressful and in part entrepreneurs challenge themselves and you know they kind of get into this treadmill that they feel they need to do more and achieve more and it's really hard to take stock and say actually I'm successful I've done things well I may be able to grant myself a bit of respite and recovery so that mm. I'm energized for the next year. In addition to, to those points you mentioned I, I, I've also always had the sense that entrepreneurs should be well innately or otherwise much more able to cope with uncertainty and and risk than than you know for example the counterpart manager who works in an organization and knows they're going to get paid at the end of each month is that fair that idea of risk and un uncertainty and being able to cope with them so that's a really interesting question because there is it's a kind of, yes, from the outside, it looks like entrepreneurs are taking more risk, but everything we learn about how they take risks actually suggests that they're not necessary. If you compare them, for instance, there was one interesting study compared entrepreneurs to bankers. The entrepreneurs weren't the ones who were taking more risks. They were taking risk in different ways, in more calculated ways, and also making sure that it doesn't backfire. So, um, Sarah Saraswati talks about um, effectuation and the idea of affordable loss as a characteristic behavior for entrepreneurs. Because if we just look at the personality tests, entrepreneurs don't necessarily come out as higher risk takers. But it is because you're very motivated, you're very driven, you're kind of proactive and willing to try things out. You also, I forgot to say, entrepreneurs tend to be scoring higher on aspects of creative personality so that they're looking for new ways, they're enjoying to do things mm. differently. 
But then when they do all the things, they try to limit the downside. So they are trying to invest not more than they can afford to lose in terms of both time and also resources. And so it may seem risky from the outside, but actually it's a calculated risk. And, you know, they give themselves, for instance, a certain time spent when they try things out. And if they don't work by X month or after having spent X amounts of money, then they would typically pivot to another area. And that makes a lot of sense if you consider that if an entrepreneur takes a risk, chances are it's a lot of their own money. Maybe they're investors, but it's also their money or their reputation. Or if it's not their own money, it might, of course, it might be venture capitalist money, but it might also be their brother's money or their parents' money or their best friend's money. So managing that kind of knot to to make sure that you don't, you know, destroy everyone around you and, and their financial well-being would be very important, I guess. And it comes back to this idea that entrepreneurs bear a lot of responsibility and have to take responsibility for their actions. And that influences how you take risk. Right? As you say, you can't gamble necessarily with your family's money. Um, maybe a bit easier for <laughs> gambling with investors and thinking of some recent <laughs> um, big scandals, but not that that's necessarily a good thing. Yeah. How relevant, uh, if we continue along the line of the psychological traits, how relevant is tolerance of, of failure to entrepreneurial success? So I think just to translate it for me, so tolerance of failure for me means that I, when I start a business, I, I'm not afraid to learn. So I'm, I'm trying things out and experiment. And then when I fail, I see that as, okay, Maybe that product didn't stick or maybe that wasn't the right pitch towards that customer or the right pitch to an investor. <laughs> um, so it's kind of more of a learning loop. And so what we do see over and over again is, you know, for instance, serial entrepreneurs have an, often an advantage and tend to be more successful because they have been going through this learning loop a few more times. So ultimately, entrepreneurship is and certain in a way, it's very unique. So every individual comes to entrepreneurship. Every entrepreneur has different skill set, has different social uh, connections. And so you kind of shape ultimately your own business and your own competitive advantage as well. So there is a, a certain limit of how well you can predict many things. But on the other hand, you know, negotiating with suppliers, with customers, with investors they are kind of situations where you if you keep an open mind you can learn from setbacks so i wouldn't say you know you need to be tolerant of failure you need to be willing to experiment because the whole process is uh, relatively uncertain and you need to be willing to learn from any setbacks and it's an interesting distinction you make particularly when you consider the whole how do I phrase this politely, but Silicon Valley BS about, you know, we love failure. Failure is fantastic. And if you haven't failed, then you're nobody. I know I'm overstating it, but it, it, it I think possibly can, can kind of undermine the reality, which as you put it is those learning loops and, and constantly being aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it, how it's gone and what we can take from that in order to do things differently. So that experimentation. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think of Silicon Valley, it's just 
coming, you know, thoroughness comes to mind. There are certain areas where also you can't really fail because other people's lives are at risk. So, you know, failure and experimentation and learning <laughs> within an ethical domain, you can't risk somebody else's um, well-being. Yeah, absolutely. If we, we think again about all of the, those various uh, psychological traits and, and behavioral elements you, you mentioned, is it possible to to think about or to use that to perhaps analyze why some entrepreneurs are more successful than others because they have a higher level across those different traits, whereas the unsuccessful ones have a lower level? Or, or is that being a little bit too simplistic? So there is certainly a component of researchers, as I said, have looked at this um, and there is an effect on success, so to speak. So if you're more proactive, if I need for achievement, um, if I have self-efficacy and you have more of a creative personality, then that, uh, you know, correlates with success. But that doesn't mean it's the only predictor of mm. success. That's the first thing. And also what I find interesting about those particular traits is that you really can do things yourself to develop them. Um, so just to give you an example, creativity, we typically think of something that's very fixed, right? But you're creative or we're not. So what we did um, a few years ago, we fitted entrepreneurs with sleep trackers. So objective, kind of these little wearable devices. I'm pointing at my arm, which obviously is pointless <laughs> in our podcast. Um, and then we followed entrepreneurs, actually, uh, Eva Weinberger called them every evening. Um, she was leading the studies and kind of checked how their day was, whether they had new ideas for their business, for any processes, but also check, you know, what what they were doing after work, when they stopped working, how they were rewinding from work. So we call that recovery from work stress. And we recorded their sleep. And what we could see was on nights where the entrepreneurs slept better, they were more creative the next day. And what was even more interesting is that we found in the study that roughly half of your creativity was changing day to day with how well you were rested in the evening and got enough sleep and recovery during night. Because sleep is quite fantastic in that, you know, it allows your brain to work through the day's events and make new connections called incubation. And so there's some physiological processes at work that really, if you, you know, give your body time to... <laughs> let them play out, it really benefits your business. So I guess a long story, but to say even things we take as kind of very fixed, we can actually change and, you know, to a certain degree develop. And I guess if I extrapolate from what you're saying, a person might be relatively high on, for example, proactiveness, but if they're not getting enough sleep, and that's impacting on their cognitive functioning, and you gave the example there of creativity, then that could undermine everything else. Um, and that's before we get to non-personality or non-psychological elements like access to capital as, as being factors driving success or, or otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's really difficult when you're highly stressed. I mean, there is an element of feeling under pressure that triggers you to act, to kind of do something and end the pressure and distress you feel, feeling overwhelmed. But there is also certainly, as you say, this element that we know that your cognitive, your, your attention, everything seems to narrow down and you have this tunnel vision and it becomes really difficult to be entrepreneurial, you know, proactive, opportunity exploiting. 
when you're in that yeah. sort of mindset. If we change tack a, a tiny bit for a moment, do you feel that entrepreneurs are happier than other people? Or does that depend on on why they became an entrepreneur in the first place and, and how it's gone for them? Yes, I know, actually, <laughs> so, uh, that they are happier. So together with Andreas Rauch and Isabella Hatak, we did a quite ambitious 40-year research review of asking are entrepreneurs happier than others or are you happier working for yourself than for others? And the short answer is yes, they're happier, but there is a but. <laughs> <laughs> and so the but is that it depends, for instance, in the context you're operating in. So, um, and so we, we, the study was literally millions of individuals compiling everything we knew across 94 studies, 82 countries. And so that allowed us to look a bit also, you know, we know certain places in the world are much more volatile. There is no strong rule of law. Culture might also play a role. But out of all these different contextual explanations, what we really saw is in countries where there's more uncertainty, because, for instance, there's a, a much bigger rule of law and entrepreneurs are, can just be less sure when they start mm. a business that actually it's it's under their control and everything goes the way they, they envision it. In those places, they weren't happier. And they also weren't happier if they were forced into entrepreneurship. So we talk about so-called necessity entrepreneurship. So you become an entrepreneur because you don't have any alternative employment options. And, you know, it's easy kind of, to, it makes sense because what makes entrepreneurs happy is the fulfillment kind of, you know, doing their own thing, shaping their work, enjoying because they shape their work, they, they have very high levels of meaningful work. Um, and so those benefits come from voluntarily choosing to do something and having a certain amount of control over the process versus, you know, if you're forced to be an entrepreneur or you, you live in a country that it, where things are much more volatile, there's a lot more stress around and entrepreneurship is stressful no matter what. And if you then have to cope with additional stress, with additional uncertainty, then it's not such a happy career. <laughs> You you alluded to it there in your comments about different contexts and cultures and, and countries and rules of law and so on. But are there, you know, differences when, when we think of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, are there any specific demographic differences that, that should be noted? You know, for example, and again, you referred to the MRI study earlier on, you know, is there a difference in the psychology of, of male versus female entrepreneurs? Is there a difference between, uh, say, UK or American or German or Guatemalan entrepreneurs? Or is it a whole range of factors playing out there? So let me talk to culture first, and then I'm going to come <laughs> back to gender, if that's okay. So I think culture, I've actually done quite a bit of work on it. Um, and I think I was like everybody else in the beginning, enchanted by this notion that, you know, performance driven cultures that are quite individualistic surely should breed the highest levels of entrepreneurship. But that's not what the evidence bears out. So over the last 15 years, I've come to learn and found repeatedly in my own research that we might think of entrepreneurs as the heroic lone heroes that are go go against the odds but actually what we see is that when it comes to culture it's cultures where entrepreneurs can more easily mobilize support we call them so-called um, socially supportive cultures you can also think of it in terms of 
social capital. So these are cultures where people tend to be a bit nicer to each other, <laughs> where it's a bit easier to get in touch with each other. And that makes sense if you consider that in terms of volume, most entrepreneurs are funded and supported by the family, friends, and fools, three Fs. <laughs> and so kind of the venture capital base to the Valley model is really an outlier when it comes to looking at entrepreneurship globally. And so study after study, if we looked at innovative entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, at opportunity-motivated entrepreneurship, you name it, it was always that they would thrive and we would see more of it in cultures that were socially supportive. And so I think that's quite interesting because it kind of changes a little bit of how we should view entrepreneurs. Kind of, again, from my perspective, it's like human beings, like <laughs> everyone else, you know, we're... As humans, we're fundamentally very social human beings. And even starting a business, which seems a very isolated, lonely activity, is still contingent on the support of others, the helping hand. And what, what, what about gender? How, how would you see that playing out? So gender is actually interesting. I, I've tried to, I couldn't really find a study that would look at whether women and men entrepreneurs are different in their personality. And I would venture that I wouldn't expect that to be the case because even for things like um, there's been a lot of efforts, for instance, in Germany to facilitate uh, entrepreneurship out of, out of unemployment. And even there, you see that the people who opt to take up that options have a bit more of this entrepreneurial personality profile. So I don't think gender should, should matter for that. What we do know is that women entrepreneurs in most of the world are far outnumbered by male entrepreneurs. There's very few countries where there's equal rates of women starting businesses than men. And what we also know, unfortunately, is that despite, at least in the Western world, uh, having quite, you know, gender egalitarian or more gender egalitarian societies than we used to have, there is still a, a bigger burden to carry for women. So the the marked difference is that they can spend less time often on their business because they have to still do household chores and, and caring responsibilities and all of those things. And that's the case even in, in the relatively most gender egalitarian countries. So there's still a lot of work to do, so to speak. And I say that also because there is an economic argument to kind of allow uh, enable more women to be entrepreneurs so the oecd and also there was uh, a few years ago the, in the uk the Alison rose review for um, women entrepreneurship because if you calculate how much more economic value you would have in an economy when all the women who are held back from being entrepreneurs would also be entrepreneurs mm -hmm. that actually would make a, a huge economic difference as well you mentioned earlier on um, the, the the idea of serial entrepreneurs, so people who start one business and then they either keep it going or maybe they sell it and then they start another one, then another one, then another one. Is that kind of behavior, which I guess at times might be almost a bit addictive or, or compulsive, is that associated with certain psychological traits or is it just the, the thrill of the chase and that you know addiction to, to adrenaline or success? I think, you know, when I talked earlier about this need for achievement, I think there is a addiction to the type of work you're doing and seeing that you can um, succeed in doing it is really addictive. I mean, addictive, what, what, in a, there is actually research on entrepreneurship addiction. So it becomes addictive. Um, I think a more positive way would 
be to say, oh, it's it's work that elicits a lot of passion. That's because you know you you do things that are meaningful to you, and they're under your control because you have a lot of autonomy in your work, and and that and you're challenged to do. You can't stop. You know you have an, a challenge. There's always a competitor. There's always somebody who can you know wants to do things better, wants to have a, a better option. So I think you can't stop you have this kind of personality that that predisposes you for actually enjoying that type of work. And you can see then how people get looped in and and if you want to addict it to Mm. continuing this work. There is more recent research that looks at um, what happens to entrepreneurs if they go back into employed work. And so far, I think that we could say in a nutshell, it's, seems to be challenging both for the employers and for <laughs> the entrepreneurs, for the entrepreneurs, because they struggle, the ex-entrepreneurs struggle with their new role because they have less say. They may see how things could be improved, which they would you know, implement immediately in their business, but they're not responsible for that. They're not included in all the big decisions any longer. They also may see themselves still in terms of their identity as entrepreneurs and then feel that that's not really valued with the new employer. And so for the employers, we see that if they don't recognize this, that you know there could be value in employing somebody who may spot how you can do things better. And if you don't exploit that, then often you, you lose the entrepreneurs as in there's higher turnover amongst them. I can imagine they could potentially get very, very frustrated and uh, that sense of powerlessness of the, all the things they would have done, but they can't anymore and feeling feeling quite stuck if people wanted to find out more about your research uh, into entrepreneurship and indeed other things is there anywhere in particular they could go yeah uh, i can provide a link to my website that's a good start and yeah i'm always happy to have a chat about all things entrepreneurial perfect and i will uh, make sure to put a link uh, to your website and also to some of your papers in the show notes Professor Ute Stefan of King's Business School, thank you very much for your time. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks so much for having me, Laurie. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm.